One of the leftovers from COVID is the online cooking class. But today we don't do it to stay apart, but to join together when we are in different places. A cooking class to be taught by Alan Shaya is going to feature shakshuka for a special cause. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Alan Shia, chef, author, and owner with his wife, Emily, of Pomegranate Hospitality. Welcome, Alan. We have lots Thank to you. talk about today. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate it. So I understand that you are planning to have an online class and it's coming up very soon. So that's why we kind of squeezed this in. Um, yeah. tell, tell us about it. It's going to be on November 5th and we're going to be doing a virtual cooking demo and we're going to be making shakshuka. And the whole you know, idea of this virtual cooking demo is for us to raise money for the Jewish National Fund and, um, you know, continue our mission and our message of spreading love and making sure that people feel supported within their communities. So tell me about your history of doing classes. Have you done classes before or is this new? Uh, well, we've done a lot of classes, actually, but it is still kind of new. I mean, it all it all really started happening for us during COVID, where we began doing virtual classes, really at that time, just to kind of keep our, our business going uh-huh. uh, while we were while we were short, you know, tourism and, and didn't have people. We had to put our tables separate and all of the, all of the things that happened around COVID really forced us into thinking of different ways to connect with people and to ensure that we're still feeling like we're part of the community. And, uh, and so we've just kind of continued keeping the, we've continued keeping the virtual classes going, but this time in more of a fundraising capacity. Uh, and when there's something that happens that's very important, such as the war in Israel, we, we want to jump and do what we can to help. Well, I think so, it changed all sorts of things and it's given us some new tools, which is a great way to stay in touch because a lot of those tools we wouldn't have if we hadn't had that crazy period of COVID. So it's nice to be able to turn it into something else. So. Yeah. So how did you decide that shakshuka was going to be the uh, subject of your class? Well, you know, we wanted to pick a dish that we felt people would um, be able to keep keep up with because we cook together and I'll cook in my kitchen and everyone that joins into the class will cook along with me. So I've learned the hard way, you know, not to pick super complex recipes because everyone's kind of panicking in the background. Uh, and so shakshuka is a dish that 
is kind of like a no stress dish, something that people can learn how to make and have it as like a go-to dish to make at home because it's really a great way to empty out your pantry. And as long as you have a can of tomato sauce and a couple of eggs, you can really take it from there and be really, really creative and have a lot of fun. Or you can keep it as simple as possible. So I think shakshuka is a great symbol of uh, a dish that people share and that feels communal and feels like it's something that you want to sit around the table and share together. And I think that that message right now is very important for the world, uh, that, that people feel like they can sit around together and have a conversation about things that they might disagree about disagree with and that can all happen over uh food and I, I think that it's just an incredible way to connect people and so i feel like shakshuka is a dish that really symbolizes that and and comes from a region that needs a lot of attention and a lot of love right now so I wanted to share my shakshuka story with you. So my grandmother made it all the time and it was one of those leftover dishes. So it wasn't something she did and said, oh, let's make shakshuka. It was always something that she did when she had the ingredients kind of halfway done. So if she had leftover tomato sauce, but not enough to bring to the next meal, then that was usually time for, okay, we're going to have a, a meal that we can do really quickly today. It's going to be with yesterday's sauce. And you know how sauce sometimes tastes better the next day anyway. And yeah. uh, so then she'd find things in the refrigerator that were also left over, like a little bit of eggplant left over or a little bit of broccoli or maybe artichokes, whatever stuff that was left over. And she chopped that up and she put it in. And um, and then of course eggs. And I it was always great because it, my grandmother was a wonderful cook and all the components were really good. So it was it was a really a fun, a great meal. But it was also something that I thought really taught us about thrift and taught us about all kinds of other benefits that we had because it was it was very seldom something that she just said okay we're going to start this from scratch so i i wanted to know in in your home if you ever do it as a leftover dish or is it always started from scratch well i always used all kinds of stuff so i would say definitely more you know i I wouldn't say more one or the other. I definitely use it as a go-to leftover dish, 100%. But I also love kind of using shakshuka as a way to celebrate the season. So like in the spring, you know, I load it up with morel mushrooms and fava beans and asparagus. And I'm like, look guys, spring is here. Like look at all the great spring items in the shakshuka. Or in the fall, it's, you know, butternut squash and go or Brussels sprouts, you know, things that are more hearty fall vegetables. So uh, it, it is very much of a chameleon dish. You know, it can it can kind of take on whatever mood you're in. It can take on whatever season it is. We've put shrimp in our shakshuka here in Louisiana and 
in the Bahamas, we put spiny, spiny lobster on it. So, you know, it, it's all about feeling like it's a reflection of what's happening now. Uh-huh. 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 So, okay, let me ask you also, you know, my personal, I really have a real love of butternut squash and tomato together. I think that it's yeah. a really underutilized combination. So when you are making shakshuko with butternut squash, what do you do to emphasize that that sweetness and the other aspects of the squash? Well, you know, I always use like um, a really good canned tomato, which which is going to have inherent sweetness to it. I love using the Bianco canned tomatoes and I use whole peeled canned tomatoes because it has like a lot of texture to it, which I like. And I kind of crush that up a little bit. So, um, you know, in the when, when I go and add things like, like butternut squash, I really want the squash to just taste like squash. You know, I don't want to like, I wouldn't necessarily add like, you know, cinnamon or sugar or anything like that to it. I, I like shakshuka to be a sa- very savory. So it's really more about making sure that your tomato sauce, when you do make shakshuka, there's a few tricks to making shakshuka that and, and this could be a good time to bring that up to, okay. to when, when you make it, you want there to be certain flavor aspects to it. So I always use like a cast iron or a steel pan, something that can get really nice and hot. And I get my pan smoking hot, like really, really hot uh, over a high flame. And then I'll always add onions and peppers to the pan and give them a little bit of char, like Almost like if you're like stir frying, you know, you see like that little dark edge on your onion or on your bell pepper, because that that really builds a deep, rich flavor from the vegetables. You don't want to burn them, but a little bit of that char, that flavor really kind of goes a long way in the shakshuka. So I, I add onions and peppers at that moment. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and add in my tomato sauce or fresh cherry tomatoes, if I'm putting them in there, whatever other vegetables I'm I'm adding to it. And then I want to reduce that tomato sauce till it gets kind of custardy in texture, like thick, because it's built up a lot of sweetness at that point. And it's really infused all those flavors and developed a really rich flavor to it. And then I'll add any kind of like garnish vegetable that I want to put, like if I'm putting beautiful morel mushrooms or something like that, and I want to kind of sit those on top or asparagus tips and, and then the eggs, you know? And so I I definitely think it's about having your sauce reduced and, and the sauce being what brings the sweetness from the tomato. And then everything else should really just kind of like taste like a great version of itself. Okay. Well, that I, I think that, that you and my grandmother would be really enjoying each other's company. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we'd love we could probably talk about that stuff all day long. Right, right. Um, uh, one other important part about shakshuka is when uh-huh. you add your eggs, uh-huh. I always have a pan that uh, I have a lid to, or some type of baking sheet that I can put on top of my pan, because it's important that you're creating steam so that your eggs can cook evenly the whites can cook all the way 
-hmm. while still leaving the yolks nice and runny. If you don't have that, the yolks can tend to overcook. Yeah, yeah. So do you know very much about the history of shakshuka and where it comes from? How did it get to, how did it get to, to Israel? Well, through Libyan Jews, really, it's a dish that was created in Libya and, and really was used as a way to kind of make a big pan of something that people can share, not have to spend a lot of money making, as, as you were saying, something that can be done at a low cost and something that everyone can kind of take their bread and dip into, yes, and sop it all up and, and kind of make it, it stretches, you know, it's really sauced in bread and eggs at the end of the day. So it's full of protein, you know, it's something that is eaten for breakfast or lunch typically to kind of help, you know, with the protein to help get your energy up for the day. And when the Libyan Jews immigrated to Israel, you know, they brought shakshuka with them. But, you know, you'll also find versions of it throughout North Africa and a lot of, uh, you know, in Tunisia and, and other other North African countries as well. Um, and, and, in, in and in Sicily. <laughs> and in Sicily, that's right. You know, as people travel, so does the dish, you know. And, and so now you see it throughout Israel, you know, cooked in, in a lot of different kinds of restaurants. But at its heart, it's a Libyan dish that, that I think has become very popular in the last five, six years. I was at Whole Foods yesterday and saw a jar of like shakshuka sauce, you know, right next to the tomato sauce. So I'm like, okay, you know, words getting around that <laughs> people, people are into. And I've had it prepared in restaurants in New Orleans where there's lots of uh, like andouille or um, other kinds of um, little flavorings, not lots of andouille so that it overpowers the eggs, but just to give it that smoky taste that uh, andouille can bring to things, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, it gets, I mean, I, I just think you can make it or adapt it to almost any kind. It's, a, it's a, like a white canvas of yes, the culinary world. Yeah, you can really, you know, you can put so many things on it and it would be great. Yeah. And so would you consider it more a Sephardic contribution to the cuisine um, that uh, the North African Jews brought with them to um, to Israel? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's kind of the origin, the origins of it from like North Africa, um, where a lot of Sephardic Jews, you know, went after being expelled from Spain. From Spain, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so now tell us a little bit about the class. How long do you think it will be? Do you give people all of the ingredient lists and everything ahead of time so they can be prepared? Tell, tell us a little bit yeah. about how you operate. So, um, the class is going to be November 5th at 6 p.m. Central Time. The class takes about an hour total, uh, about 45 minutes of cooking. And then, you know, we, we answer some questions and, and just kind of have a good time. You know, it's there's, there's probably going to be a few hundred people in the class, so you know, we'll have my wife, Emily, will be the answering questions as I'm cooking and helping people along, giving them uh, 
options for substitutions, thing, things along that line. Um, and it's, it's going to be, I think, uh, just a really informative um, and a very special cause. We're raising money for the Jewish National Fund. So all the money we're raising is going to go to helping displaced families that have to move because uh, their, their neighborhoods were destroyed by terrorists. So, you know, the money is going to a very important cause. And uh, we send everyone a, a, an email that registers with a list of all the ingredients to buy, what to prepare ahead of time, kind of tips and tricks to be ready for the class. And we, we give everyone every tool possible to make sure that they're not going to get behind during the class. And then we start and I cook and then Emily tells me to slow down and says so we have a few <laughs> questions. And then we all kind of keep cooking together and Towards the, you know, people will be like, hey, my pan might be too hot or this is tasting great. You know, we just have a, a lot of fun conversation around it. And then we got kind of get a chance to taste the dish together and answer any questions. And we'll, we'll talk about just general food questions people have. Um, we'll, we'll talk, I think, on this class about what's happening in Israel and Gaza and, and what that means to everybody and, and how to navigate some of these really tough, hard conversations that everybody has to do right now. Um, and again, just kind of deepen our sympathy for humanity and, and, and our, our, our goal to spread peace and, and love. So that's what we'll be doing. So I, I remember that there were three chefs that came to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum that you were involved in them coming um, is that organization that had a Jewish chef, a Muslim chef, and a Christian chef working together, that were cooking together, does that organization still exist? You know, that's been a long time. That was several, what, five, six years ago, maybe at even least, more. At least six or seven, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that organization exists anymore. And if it doesn't, it really should, uh, you know. And I, I know that there are many organizations that do bring people together. Um, Arabs, Jews, Christians, Muslims, everyone to, to show unity and to show... A, a respect for for just mankind and, and humanity. That shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be a, a topic of conversation. I mean, that should really be our default is to is to love and respect everybody and to build bridges through food and to together put a stop to terrorism. I mean, that that. Hamas is terrorizing everybody. They're ter terrorizing Palestinians, they're terrorizing Israelis, they're terrorizing Americans and people all around the world. And so I think that we have to continue doubling down on that message and making sure that everyone understands that. Uh, that, that should not be a hard conversation to have. And, and it's been confusing for a lot of people. And it's so it's so nice to be able to do it around food where you sort of stop everything else you're doing and you're concentrating on the table and the other people at the table. It, it really is a, a great unifier, I think. And then as people um, share their recipes, you know, the food gets changed, 
because food is a social invention. So everybody adds their own little bit to it. That's right. And food, I, food is a window into the soul of humanity. And, and, it, and through cooking and through eating together, you can touch every edge of the world. You can, you can be a part of every conversation. You can unite, you can understand, you can disagree. And, and you can do all of that through a common understanding that people need to eat and people love to eat and people love to share what they cook. And when someone does that, they're giving you a piece of themselves and that should be respected. And I've, and I feel that that's, that should be a minimum of what happens. Mm -hmm. So if people want to sign up for the class, tell us how they do it. So you can go on to pomegranatehospitality.com and we have a link to sign up to the class and register. And we encourage people to sign up. People will be signing up from all over the, will be people all over the world signing up. We've had so much great feedback and people wanting to support. And so we urge everyone, you know, who can to sign up or send it as a gift to somebody uh, who you think might be interested in it. And it'll, it'll be a great um, opportunity to cook together, talk about food, and just, uh, you know, talk about our, our mission to spread love, peace, and, uh, and, and help people uh, find a safe place to live at, at a time that they need it the most. And so are there, is there a limit to how many people can be on the class so that people are encouraged to sign up fast? There, there's not a limit. Um, you know, we've had up to a thousand people in some of our classes before. And so, you know, we hope uh, that as many people sign up as they can. Um, okay. Okay. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get you the information of what you need to go to the grocery store and buy. We'll make sure you're set up for success. Just have your computer ready. And uh, a lot of people will cook with their kids or they'll get groups of friends together um, or just, you know, someone in their house by themselves, you know, cooking mm -hmm. dinner for themselves that night. It, it's all, everyone is welcome. And we, we encourage people to um, come be a part of this conversation. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Alon. This has been a fascinating conversation and also I think an important one. So I, I'm looking forward to your Shakshuka class and I hope everybody can sign up. And as this goes, it, when this drops, then we'll also give them all the links so that they'll be in writing too. So thank, thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. you, Liz. And I've I've been in a I've been in a stairwell in the in the restaurant. So sorry for any background noise, but you can think of it as a working podcast. I'm here sitting in a stairwell in my apron and chef coat, and so you know it's it's work on the go. So I, I appreciate um, anyone listening uh, who heard all the sounds and bustling of the kitchen in the background. Well, it just sounds like it's real. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely is. So thank you, Liz. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. 
Subscribe to this and other food and drink related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.